Jonathan, Andy, and Betsy, and men's choir. Great job. We have so much talent in this church. You know, we have not acknowledged uh, a talented one among us. Uh, Jackie Williford Copeland, where are you? Where are you, Jackie? Stand up. Jackie, a 91 graduate. Uh, at Atlanta Christian. Was it Atlanta Christian when you graduated? Or was it Barton? Okay, so, but she has been inducted to the Barton College Hall of Fame for her basketball prowess. So we're very happy for you. And you're a great example as a coach and paying back to the student athletes today. So we wanted to acknowledge that. And we have so many, um, Lisa and, uh, uh, Dickens, uh, tennis stars that are among us. And so we want to acknowledge that. I hope I haven't left anyone out. We are continuing our series in First Peter, and today's title is called The Ambassador's Marker, Submission. The distinct characteristic of the ambassador is to be submission, is submission to his master. Okay, this is a, a really dicey sermon, and so pray for me that I don't get attacked by one group or the other, because when we talk about submission, you have to ask, which side are you on? Am I going to have the bro code and be loyal to the guys? And if I do, I'll make the women mad at me. But I think there's a better solution. I think I'll be on the Lord's side with this topic. And let's just see what it says about what the Lord Jesus did. It says in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I'm going to learn submission from the Lord Jesus. So in this series thus far, Peter gave us what his purpose was, and he says, Look, you're going to be going through tough times, but I've written to you, this is the true grace of God. Stand in it. First message we looked at was the ambassador's message is born again to a living hope. The ambassador's mindset, be holy for I am holy, saith the Lord. We need to be holy in our conduct, in our attitude, and in our conduct. Uh, the ambassador's manner uh, with respect and love. Ambassador's making, we're going to be like, Little babes and living stones. Last week we looked at our, the ambassador's ministry, a royal priesthood. And today we're going to look at the ambassador's marker, submission. Now this passage that we're going to read is a long passage. It goes from 2.13 to 3.7. So it's a little longer, but I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please, as we read the word of God. Because... There's three cases for submission that he makes here, and I want to cover them all at once because they all fit together. Let's look at the Word of God. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. 
For such is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Christ is our example. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. In the same way, you wives... Be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear." You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. May God add the blessing the reading of his word. Please be seated. Let's take a look at this. This is a, an important topic, because when we look at submission... It's a dirty word in this culture. Um, We've been through the women's liberation movement and the abortion movement and women are rising up. They want to uh, get out from underneath this yoke and I understand some of it. And then we see what else is happening in the culture. As a result, families are being destroyed and um, the homosexual lifestyle is being promoted We also see a movement in our culture towards a one-world government. 
And then we see, even within the church, a distortion of the biblical teachings with women having roles that they were not designed to have. And what I want to do is tie all of these together. And what's the one common thread that we see with with the issue of submission being taken out of context and in its proper use? And these other issues is that basically we've ignored God's design. God has a plan and a purpose. It's revealed in his word. And each of these areas are an attack on the design of God for us. And so we, as Christians living in this age, need to be attentive to what's going on and to be spiritually perceptive and recognize where the attacks are coming from. Let's take a look at what the definition of uh, submission is. It comes from a Greek word, hupotasso, which means to order under. And it's a, uh, a continuing form of the word. It's a verb. And it's not a one-time act, but a continual pattern of behavior. It's a pattern. So you, it's to order under, to be under a uh, authority. It comes under a designated order in no way implying uh, a lesser worth, a lesser value, or importance. And that's where some of the understanding of uh, submission gets distorted. Just because one submits or is below one doesn't mean you're any less valuable. And we'll talk about some situations here. Let's talk about what biblical submission is not. It is not being a doormat. Sometimes we just think we have to roll over and play dead. That's not what it is. It is not having to agree on everything. It is not being abused physically, emotionally, sexually. It is not having to follow another into sin. And it's not putting the will of the earthly one ahead of the one of the heavenly one, our Father, God. It implies none of those. There's three cases that we're going to look at today. And we see the first one is to magistrates, kings, political authorities, whether it's a president or whatever. We have a responsibility to submit to their leadership. We have the responsibility, and I, I call it management, um, in, in the passage, it talks about masters and servants, our bosses. We have work responsibilities. And the one that I'll spend the most time today, the one that probably causes the most consternation with us, is dealing with our mates, husbands and wives, and how this submission plays out in a healthy relationship. So looking at um, two uh, magistrates, uh, the context that Peter's writing to, remember we talked about first century? And the issues that are going on, they're starting to feel persecution. And in this area or this time in history, what Caesar said was law. Even though Rome was a republic, Caesar still had a lot of power. And there's a legal term, a Latin term, that we use. It's called rex lex. And I get that from... Uh, in 1644, Samuel Rutherford wrote a book called Lex Rex. And Rex Lex means, Rex means king, Lex means law. So Rex Lex means the king is law. But what happened during um, periods of the Enlightenment and the 15th, 16th century, 17th century, is that now there was a transformation in our thinking that the law was going to be king. And so in this era, the king was law, and so they had to obey. Um, they, you, the principle here for that, that 
Peter is giving is that we abide by the law until it violates the revealed will of God. Now, there will be consequences for that. And we find that happening in the out years here from this is about 64 A.D. that is written, 63 A.D. Peter is executed probably 64. And we know that Paul is executed about 67 A.D. And then some of the persecutions of the early church, they were not willing to, to uh, abide by Caesar's rules, his laws. And so as a result, they didn't want to worship Caesar. They wanted to worship Jesus. And as a result, they suffered martyrdom. And so that's what are the consequences. But that's how submission plays. We can submit as long as the laws are just and right. And then when they violate God's law, we have to resist. However, doing right, even in these situations, silences those who slander. It's very powerful when, when you suffer for doing what's right. Now, the second case to management or, or, or masters or bosses, it's in this master-servant relationship. That's what it talks about here. And again, we obey the law until it violates God's law. If you have a boss that's asking you to do something illegal, if you do it, you're as much criminal as that boss is. And that's not a proper legal excuse. Well, my boss told me to do this. It wouldn't hold up in court, would it, Jonathan? So it doesn't. So we obey until it violates God's law or legal law. And then, again, this exemplary behavior, even with tyrannical bosses, it caused people to take notice of how you're being treated. Even though you have a rough boss, if you take it, it speaks volumes. And that's what Peter is saying here. Then what I want to transition to, and we'll spend most of our time here, is, is to husbands and wives and see how this plays out. Because this is, this is an area that's often confused and it really gets, unfortunately, bad play. Because we need to know how to abide with our mates in life, to enjoy God's design of marriage. And there's multiple passages, the passages here and also in Ephesians. And then uh, Titus talks about it as well. There's many passages in the New Testament talking about how to get along with our mates and how to submit. Now, one thing that we're taught is that we're to submit to Christ and we're to submit to one another. And then it talks about wives submitting to the husbands. Okay, there's an order there. Um, in the headship and helpmeet arrangement, uh, God is going to hold the man responsible for the leadership and the authority in the home. And then he's going to hold the woman uh, responsible for her support of the husband. That's just the order that he's created. And when that's violated, uh, we do so at our peril. And that's what we need to be careful of. Now, here's a, a great definition for you of what um, a good understanding of what submission is. Submission is the divine call of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. Okay? It's a divine call. And then for another one is, submission is a disposition to follow her husband's authority and an inclination to yield to his leadership. It's kind of alignment here. And I'll tell you, for the men, submission's a whole lot easier when the husband sacrificially loves and cares for his wife as Christ sacrificially loves and cares for his church. 
It's easy to align with a husband that cares for you, to that loves you as Christ loves the church and cares for the church. So men, if we're having issues here, I'd be careful about our leadership in the home. Is it sacrificial love? Is it sacrificial caring for your wife? And the question, men, do you submit to Christ in this? Or do you just dictate? And that's a caution. It's a caution that we need to take. I like what the scriptures say here in First Peter. He says, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, there's a couple key phrases. This first one, in an understanding way, that you understand your wife, that you put yourself in her shoes, that you understand what she's going through, and to understand what her position is, and show her honor as, and as a fellow heir of grace. And I'm going to show you how this plays out in just a second. Now, I can get into talk about um, someone weaker, okay, and we can have that discussion and we're seeing some of that played out in our sports programs, whether it's in um, a high school sports program, state championships. Some of these guys who are saying they're women getting in there and they're becoming um, breaking records for the women because they're saying that they're women. Um, something's amiss here. We're, we're very confused. Yet this is what's happening in the culture. And it doesn't make it any better. But I, I can tell you, if I was to play... Um, Jackie, one-on-one, she'd clean my clock, okay? And that's okay. That doesn't mean that women don't have skills and abilities and are good athletes. That's not what it's saying. But there are differences. And so I want to share with you some key biblical principles and concepts here that can help negotiate this a little easier. Now, there's this view. It's called the egalitarian view of men and women. Now, men and women are equal in everything. That's what egalitarian means, equal. And spiritually, this is true because, um, as it says in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So spiritually, morally, before the throne of grace, we're individuals, we're equals, individual moral agents. So when we use this to justify other positions within the church or in uh, other teachings in the Bible, you're picking one verse to distort the whole teaching of the scriptures. But before Christ, we're all equal. The other view is what we call complementarian view. And that's where uh, men and women are different but we complement one another, meaning that we're physically and emotionally different, but we complement or round out, make complete one another. And thank goodness for that. Thank goodness that we're not the same. I'm a better man because of my wife. And many of you would say the same exact thing, that you're a better man because of your wife. And hopefully women, you would say you're a better woman because of your husband. And that's the design and the and the teaching of what a complementarian view is. So we have men has, has this role of headship. This woman has a role of support and encouragement. So 
The roles and responsibilities are different, and so are the gifts and abilities. I'm going to share with you a great way to handle disputes when they come up within a marriage and within work situations and also within our government. And it's this concept of assertiveness with respect. This is a great teaching, and I find it really good, especially dealing with teenage boys. Um, one of the things that we want as parents is our children to grow up and to be independent. And there's a natural phase in a young man's life when he starts exercising that independence in the home. And he's talking back to mom, he's talking back to dad. And that's not right. But if you teach, I want you to be assertive, but do it with respect. It's a very good thing. This came out in my life as an airline pilot. What was happening during the hiring sprees of the early 80s and late 80s, we were getting a, we had older guys in the left seat as captains and we're getting new guys off the street that were younger, you know, kind of, um, baby boomers. These other guys were depression era people. And what we were having is conflict within the cockpit. Because in that, in the old days, the captain was king. Okay? And now you have this other guy saying, hey, chill out. And it was, that didn't go real well. And so when you would, would be running emergencies or something would happen, that the co-pilot would assert himself in a very disrespectful manner. And there was conflict in the cockpit during an emergency. That's the last thing you want. But that happens every day in homes when husbands and wives conflict. Teenagers with parents conflict. Um, we conflict with our bosses at work, end up getting fired, or we conflict with our government. Now, there's, there's a secret to this. Assert yourself, but do it respectfully. Give an input without attacking. Say, look, I'd like to tell you this is a situation. You do it respectfully for the person's position. Um, you do give input without degrading the other person. You know that you've won a battle when they start name-calling and um, uh, they, these are called ad hominem attacks. You attack the man rather than the issue. That happens all the time, but it gets nowhere. So in a dispute, husband and wife, and you start attacking the man, what happens is you emasculate the man, and the resentment builds. And then you give input within the confines of civility. Ask yourself, is that how you would like to be treated if you were confronting someone in authority? So this assertiveness with respect is a great principle to put into play in whatever situation. And that's basically what Peter is telling us, that we do this respectfully, that we honor these people, and that we live a life, that we give input this way. Now, if the Lord permits, in the new year, I'd like to have an opportunity to share on Sunday night with with whoever wants to attend a love and respect conference. Love and Respect is a marriage seminar. It's about a five-session seminar and talks about some things. Now, how many men have been to marriage seminars in here? Raise your hand. Okay. And Anyone else? 
okay, the ones I've been to, it's always the man's fault. Okay, so I'm not real thrilled about being a part of a, it's all your fault, guys. You're not loving enough. You're not, okay. The beauty of this, love and respect, is that it will teach that it's a two-way street. That men have a need and women have a need. And it's not always the man's fault, and it's not always the woman's fault. We're going to learn how to do that. For men, let me show you something here. You know, we have these the balance between love and respect. Some women might think their husbands, all they want is sexual gratification or love and, and this. But really, our greater need for men is to be respected. I have this picture. It's kind of a teeny picture there. It's lousy. But it talks about men marching into battle, line abreast, like they did in the Civil War, in the Revolutionary War. Now, if it was me, I'd be looking for the nearest tree to get behind because it's shooting bullets back at you. But this was established military technique. How do you get men to march in this formation into a line of bullets coming at them? Do you think that they're so motivated by their cause that they're going to march into battle like that? Do you think they're so motivated by their general that they're going to march into battle like this? It's none of those things. They were simply worried about the man next to them, what that man next to him thought of them. They did not want to be a coward. They did not want to be have lose respect. And as a result, they'd walk into a wall of bullets. That's how powerful this is in men. And if you don't recognize this, or if you disrupt this, it creates havoc. In Japan, there's a thing called kuroshi, and that is death by overwork. Japanese men would work so hard at their jobs, they'd die at computers, they'd die at their desks. Because... They didn't want to lose face in doing a bad job, so they always did over and beyond to maintain face, to maintain respect. But it's a phenomenon in the Japanese culture called Kuroshi, and it was very common because they didn't want to lose respect of co-workers. Women, you'd be wise to heed this and understand this. And we'll do this in this Love and Respect Conference. For women, it's the same thing. Women want to be loved, but women also want to be respected. It's a hard thing for a woman, especially in our culture, if she has the opportunity to be a stay-at-home mom, that she's demeaned and diminished by being a stay-at-home mom. That's what the culture is saying to her. Now, I understand economics, you might have to, but the fact that men don't value what the women do at home can lead to some of this. So this love and respect. A woman has a greater need for love, but she has a, a, a need for respect as well. And so as we understand this, it makes this whole submission thing line up. That I'm going to love my wife, and I'm going to respect her for the things that she's given up or sacrificed for our family. And these become important concepts to us as we understand this. I want to show you a clip. You, One good thing about me preaching is you always get a good movie clip. This is from the 19, no, the 2000 movie called The Family Man with Nicolas Cage. And, uh, 
Nicholas Cage always gets a bad rap in the movies. They don't like him. They always give him bad reviews, but I like him as an actor. And uh, the actress here is uh, Tia Leone, Leone. And this, I'm going to set this scene up for you. Uh, Family Man is about a high-powered Wall Street ex- executive who had a girlfriend, and he chose to do the Wall Street lifestyle. And he has this opportunity to go back to see what life would have been had he married this girl and had a family. It's a great story. It's about family. And, 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 you know, Hollywood gets it wrong a lot of times, but in this one, they get it right. And what they do is, you know, he has his sports car, his Lamborghini and his girlfriend, and then he has the minivan and his wife and kids. So here they are. He has this opportunity. He was a manager of a, of a, of a tire business in town. And he has a chance to go to work on Wall Street, what he was doing before in his previous life. And so it's going to involve a move with the family, selling the house. And I think this is a good example of how submission plays out. You're going to see how she interacts with him. And that's not just a, you know, roll over and play dead. But there's some valuable lessons for us. I'll play this for you. You know, I think about the decision you made. Maybe I was being naive, but I believed that we would grow old together in this house. That we'd spend holidays here and have our grandchildren come visit us here. I had this image of us, all gray and wrinkly, and me working in the garden and you repainting the deck. But things change. If you need this, Jack, if you really need this, I will take these kids from a life they love, and I'll take myself from the only home we've ever shared together, and I'll move wherever you need to go. I'll do that because I love you. I love you, and that's more important to me than our address. I choose us. choose us I think it captures the nature of submission it wasn't she's rolling over play dead but she loved him so much that she's willing to sacrifice and if you notice his reaction at the end it totally freed him up making that decision and for the Christian man it's now between you and God your wife's supportive You have that support there. And now you're letting God work on the man. And that's a good example of how that should work out. But I like that expression, I'm for us. 
And if that's the default position that we all have within our marriages, it's going to be a success. It's going to be a blessing. It's going to be something that will make the home, make the house a home and give us a future with one another. But I also like it in this, that in the middle of this passage, it describes what the Lord Jesus did for us and how he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for his wounds. By his wounds, you're healed. He loved us. And basically, he was saying, I'm for us. I'm for you to be connected with me and that we spend all eternity together, that we're reconciled to a holy God and that we enjoy his salvation. We're going to play a song of uh, invitation. And I'm going to challenge men. Men, be the men that God wants us to be. Live with our wives in an understanding and caring way. Wives, learn to align and to submit to husbands in a way that's not a doormat, that you give your inputs, that you assert yourself with respect and dignity. And then we'll see how God plays this out in our lives. Ultimately, for the success of your home, for your marriage, and what a testament it is in our culture today. If you'd like to uh, talk to me about salvation, come forward, or any problem that you would like to discuss, or any concern that you have, any praise that you have, I'll be here to meet you. So, Jonathan, please. Thank you. I hope we realize submission is not a dirty word. And you can do it with respect and dignity and carry yourself in such a Christ-like manner. If Christ was willing to submit himself, we should be willing to do likewise. Let me ask her about it. Lord, we just thank you for your teachings that are clear. And I pray that we'd be able to put this into practice in a way that glorifies you. And although it's contrary to our culture, that we'd be faithful to our Savior. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Dismissed.